to the London Horror Movie Club, a monthly film club where I share London's unique horror films. It's March, and that means we are moving into the 1960s, and we're going to watch this month the 1960 film Peeping Tom. This film is widely available. Some of the places you can find it are Amazon Prime Video, Google Play, Apple. You can even buy it through YouTube. Um, if you have any trouble finding it, it is considered a sort of classic British horror film, so you might also be able to find it at your local library. So check it out. Now, I know what you're thinking. I'm supposed to be bringing to you unique, interesting, strange, fascinating horror films that you might not have heard before, but almost everybody knows Peeping Tom. And actually, originally, it was it was absolutely hated. Uh, the When it came out, the critics found it horrific in the traditional and original senses and far too awful to even let people see and it became really hard to find the film let alone to watch it it became a sort of underground film if you will and then it was re-released by martin scorsese 20 years later and that's why we all know it so well today and why it had such a big impact on other directors in the, the 80s and 90s in particular um, and the film was by Michael Powell, a very well-known director, and he was really known for darker films. If you've seen Black Narcissus, uh, recently the BBC, I think, has put on a, a sort of TV version of it, but the original Black Narcissus, I believe in the 40s, was also a Michael Powell film. And so to a degree, people expected really dark things from him, but Peeping Tom just put it over the edge and made it, to, to some critics and to people at the time, unwatchably horrific and I think that's that's part of why I, I wanted to bring it in is because it was a film that was lesser known lesser appreciated but also because it's a film that a lot of people talk about but they always talk about the same things in this film they talk to you about the importance of the camera and film which which I'll talk a little bit about too they talk to you about psychology again something I'll talk about a bit but there are other things in this film, and particularly the horror side of this film, that don't get talked about as much. And I think if if I can give you a chance to rewatch this film or to discover this film, looking at it in, in maybe a different way, that you might really get a lot out of seeing it again, or for the first time, without necessarily it being this particular Martin Scorsese-presented version, if you will, of... Peeping Tom. Um, so let me go go back to the beginning and introduce this film to you a bit more properly. Peeping Tom is about, well, it follows, let's say, one particular character, his name is Mark, and he's a very shy young man in London, but he he sort of lives behind his camera. He, he works at a film studio and he also does let's say glamour photography, sort of early softcore photos, which now we would consider extraordinarily tame. Uh, and he's, he really comes to life isn't fair because he's a very stoic character, but he really experiences life, let's say, through the camera, either the, the photographic camera or the film camera. And he is, he's peeping Tom. But he also meets this really sweet, wonderful young woman who's played by Anna Massey, amazing, amazing actress in general, but amazing horror film actress of the 60s. And it's this sort of weird balance in which he's he's trying to experience life not through the camera with her and how he's experiencing life through the camera through the rest of his life. 
and it doesn't it doesn't necessarily go well this is a horror film but that's the sort of central focus and story and in the meantime he's in experiencing these things and life through camera he's also trying to experience fear that's the thing that I want to sort of bring out in this film is the, that he's experiencing and giving fear through the camera. Um, and it's from the very first shot in the film. That's what you get. You The, the opening scenes of the film, you, you don't actually see who's behind the camera, but you see through a camera lens. Uh, it's a divided as sort of in a, it looks like crosshairs, but it's, it's actually traditional camera. It's a way they can set up the cinematography for it and, and make sure everything's in lines and correct. And you watch that film camera and its little crosshairs follow a woman, prostitute, let's say, through an alley and up into her bedroom. And you watch her become horrified and, and, and scream. And it's, it's supposed to be terrifying. And it's the very first scene of the film. And that sets up all the rest of the other aspects of the film, which everyone really talk about. And, and in particular, a psych- the psychological aspect to it, the psychology of the person behind the camera and the importance of film and, and how we experience and process film, not only as filmmakers, but as, as viewers, as audience sitting in the film cinema. And that very first shot, you're, you are watching a film of someone being killed. And it's it's not distanced at all. It's very clear because they've put it in the camera thing that you're sort of complicit. You're basically just as bad as the murderer. And then the next scene, you come back the next day and see it as the outsider. And so you're, you're even more put in that moment. And so it's not only the psychology of the characters, it's the psychology of the audience and what film does to us and what film lets us experience in a really creepy way. If you think about, if you're a horror fan, the number of times you've watched a horror movie and sort of enjoyed, because you're enjoying the film, watching people die. That's a really creepy thing. If you said to someone, I really like watching people die, that's a really creepy thing. Of course, we know they aren't dying, which I think is part of why we're able to enjoy it, where we know everyone's safe and alive and fine. But it, it plays with what that really means, the sort of guilt and complicity of the audience in these kinds of films. So straight from the go, you have you have psychology, you have film, you have fear, which is not talked about enough in this film. Um, and for all of these those reasons, this film got compared a lot with Psycho, uh, Alfred Hitchcock's famous Psycho. It actually came out in the same year, in 1960. Uh, neither was an influence on the other in any way. But they both dealt with a central character who had psychological issues. And while it's often compared as like Psycho or similar to Psycho, it does have these things in common with it, but it is a very different film. If you're going for the fact that there's psychological issues, yes, there's an aspect of the main character that has a psychological issue with repression that's related to a parent, and that is in some way the central character for Psycho. But we as the audience have a very different relationship with that character. We, Mark is a sweet guy. This this guy who's supposed to be terrifying and, and does become terrifying in some ways. You have an immense sympathy for throughout the film. There's no 
the, he, well, I do. I, I have no edge to him when I watch this. Please tell me if I'm wrong, but I don't, I don't think it's possible to see him in the same way that you see someone like Norman Bates. Norman Bates feels like he could change on you at any minute, and Mark just seems very damaged and sad and tragic. Um, and, and the other side of this being different from Psycho is that the psychology of the character isn't the only thing at play here. There's also the psychology of you, the viewer, and that's played with throughout the film. And that's another big difference between this and Psycho is that, that cinema, film, the camera are really being criticized. They're on display. There are so many aspects of film through this. I mean, as I said from the start, we're implicated as viewers of the film. Mark has multiple different types of film job. He works on a film set. He does photography. In the climax, we see yet another set of films. I won't ruin it for you, but a set of amateur films. And it, it puts into really sharp focus the difference between watching these professional kinds of films and watching an amateur film. And something that we probably have experienced, maybe not as much in the 1960s, but I mean, home videos have been very popular for, for decades. And then there's also the film itself, which is really smartly, intelligently shot as a film. One of the big things about this film is the color. It's it's sort of that Eastman color, which, which Hammer was known for, that's it's garish. It's a lot of very intense color and it's not natural. Even in the scenes that aren't sort of necessarily as dramatically lit, there are some scenes that are a deep red and black almost in a, in a in, seems almost like cibachrome uh, photography, if you know what that, that is, advertising photography, really, really stark. But there are the sort of shots where everyone's in, in let's say, no normal lighting, if you will, but the colors are so intense and vivid and, and in some moments almost sort of sickeningly so. Someone's skin is too much like skin and and the colors, some pastels are so pastel, it's like frosting. There's, there's it really psychologically plays with, with you and the lack of reality to film, but also then the reality that you get through that lack of reality in film, if that makes sense. Uh, but it, it, it weirdly visually puts you on edge the whole time. These colors, the way he shot the film, the, the angles, the way that you as the viewer see inside certain characters or see from perspectives that are limited or altered puts you on edge. And it, it gives you different kinds of fear throughout the film. So you're afraid in a different way than the person on screen is afraid, in a different way than Mark is afraid. There's all these interesting sort of plays with fear. And I think that's the thing that really makes this movie stand out that isn't talked about as much is that where something like Psycho is about shock, it's about giving you moments, snaps, where you're afraid or surprised. This is a film about fear, about experiencing fear. One of the last lines in the film, it happens at the climax of the film, is I'm glad I'm afraid. And when I first saw this movie 40 years after it was made, so lots happened since then, maybe it read differently originally. But when I saw that film, that line hit me really intensely. It sort of changed the way I was watching the film. I mean, it's a very engaging film, but it took me for a second out of it, out of the film, in a very creepy and, and exhilarating and interesting intellectually way. 
because I sort of was too glad that I was afraid. I, it's, it's an incredibly intense, creepy moment and it's frightening, but you've experienced all sorts of other kinds of fear already and I was enjoying the film. Not that being afraid is something, I, I am not an adrenaline junkie, ask anyone. I don't even like driving cars, um, but I like, I like horror movies. I enjoy film. I enjoy film because every now and then you find a film that really genuinely gives you an emotion in, in such a unique way. You're safe, but you're crying or you're, you're not in a romantic situation, but you're feeling very romantic or you're very safe in your house and watching a film and you're scared. And it actually touches you with that really real raw emotion. And there's something very intimate about that. And I really love, I love that about every film that I, that I love, whether it's, I once had a panic attack from film. I'll never watch it again. Amazing film, obviously, because it touched me <laughs> very personally, but I, I'm really, I didn't enjoy having the panic attack when I watched, this is a very different film. This is not Peeping Tom that gave me a panic attack. Um, I really, that film means a lot to me still. I will never watch it again. It's it's too emotionally charged for me, but I really loved the film. It's an amazing film and it's amazing it could do that to me. And so in some ways, like this line in the film, and I won't ruin who says it for you, I'm glad I'm afraid. And that is really something I think is at the core of this film. If you can hold that idea with you, and I'm, I'm not trying to give away any spoilers, but if you can hold that idea with you, of being glad to be afraid. In some ways, the film gives you so many different, interesting examples of that and of our relationship with fear that it's, I think it makes the film timeless. I think it makes the film really relevant for right now. I know so many people who spend so much time worried about being anxious, worried about being afraid and the world's really messed up right now. We, you know, we're, we're in lockdown, people are dying. Um, I mean, the world in general is a pretty scary place if you think too hard about it. Of course you're afraid. That's not a bad thing. And we treat it like it is. We treat it like we need to get rid of fear. And I think that makes this film really relevant now. Maybe that's part of why I wanted to share it. Maybe that's part of why I, I rewatched it recently. Because we have, we have to have a space where we're okay with the fact that we're afraid, where we know it's doing something good for us, or it's a useful emotion to have, because it is. And I love that about this film. Other horror films let you be afraid in a safe way. They give you the chance to be glad you're afraid, and this film asks you about that. It was a really big pause, sorry, but it does. It asks you about that it makes you think about that in a different way. It, it made me think about that in a different way. And I think that's part of why this film is amazing. Now, of course, the other part of this is that this is the London Horror Film Club and it is a London movie. You know, the, the opening scenes are by the Newman's Arm pub in Fitzrovia, very identifiable. The little passage is if you've been to the Fitzrovia area, if you've been to Newman Passage, you know exactly where this is. Helen works up in Cricklewood. That's, that's Anna Massey's character. Mark lives in West Kensington. These are all these very identifiable average spaces in London. I know we talked last, last time about these spaces that are just normal people's London. It's not touristy London. But weirdly, I think this film could work not in London. 
Part of why it's in London, absolutely, is the film industry. It's not necessarily that the film is saying lots about London. It's that the, the film industry, which is a key part of the film, really lived in London and Britain in the 60s. There weren't a lot of alternative film studios. There wasn't money really going places outside of London. That, that's not to say there wasn't some, but really the vast majority of funding of, of big studios of interest were based in London, even if they filmed elsewhere. So you needed it to be in London for the film side of it. And so in that way, I think this film's actually a lot more British than it is London. And in some ways that's really interesting. Why does London end up representing Britain? And, and actually probably probably really England, but but say Britain, maybe Northern Ireland. I don't know about much about the cultural history of Northern Ireland, but because it's very much playing on English repression. The psychology at the center of this film is that very, what you think of as almost Victorian English repression that gets talked about to death. And it is very English in the way it's acted and it's very English in the way it's presented, which has a fantastic irony because the main character isn't English. Uh, the actor is Carl Heinz, Carl Bohm, I think is how you pronounce his last name, B-O-E-H-M. Is, isn't, wasn't British, and has a, a, a soft but identifiable accent. You, you know straight away that he's, I mean, you assume he's German. Um, and the character then has that accent. And though he's never specifically described as, as English or non-English, it makes him very much a sort of outsider. But weirdly, he's also really English in his repression, in this very old-fashioned, everything is hidden, especially emotions. And then that almost childlike desire to then understand emotions, which he has to do through a camera because he can't feel them himself, which brings Anna Massey into to, to the character in a really interesting way because he's trying to feel emotions, but he's too British, weirdly, to feel them. And it, it, it's in that way, it's a really, it's a very English film, I think more broadly a British film. And in that way, it's not necessarily a London film so much as it's an English film. And it needed to be in London for the film side of it, but it could have been anywhere else. And I always think that's worth thinking about. What what makes a London film a London film? I don't know whether this one necessarily has to be a London film. It did at the time, but I don't know if you made it now, if it would be, if it needed to be. And on that thought, I will leave you. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the film. It's really something else. This is Lauren Barnett, and I think there's a horror movie out there for everyone. <laughs>